When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down and he wrapped it in linen cloth, placed it in a tomb, cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. There's, uh, there's certain kinds of stories that... When we hear them, uh, they awaken something inside of us. Uh, certain stories that, that we find ourselves in the pages, staring back at ourselves, like a mirror, almost. There's a story of, a, of someone that that happened to. Uh, it was a king, and uh, a, a prophet came to him. And he told him this story about a, a rich man and a poor man. And he said that there was this rich man who owned 
so many sheep, just as far as your eye could see, incredibly wealthy. And, and then there was this poor man who couldn't afford a bunch of sheep, but finally got one sheep. And, and man, that sheep was so special to his family. I mean, it like lived in the house with them. It, it was like a pet, really. And his whole family, his kids, they all loved this sheep. Now the rich man had some visitors that came to see him from out of town and he was to host them and prepare a meal for them. And he told his servants, why don't you go down to that poor guy's house and take his sheep and we'll, uh, we'll cook it tonight for our guests. And the king heard this story and became furious. He said, if this is someone in my kingdom, show me who that man is. And the prophet said, O king, it's you. And suddenly he saw himself in this story. Not with sheep, but with human lives. The acts that he had done. And he saw them finally for what they were. He had been blind to it. It's amazing how sometimes... We can be completely blind to what it is that we're doing that's not right. We can, we can rationalize it, right? We're so good at that. We can convince ourselves that, that the end justifies the means or, or whatever the situation is. And we can go through our life not realizing what's going on, what we're doing, how we're hurting others, how we're destroying and wrecking even our own life. And But sometimes there's something like a story that that comes up and it's like it holds a strange kind of mirror in front of you and suddenly you see yourself for who you are. When the gospel writers sat down to tell the story of Jesus, to give an account of what had been seen, what had been experienced, what they heard Jesus say and what they heard Jesus do, they crafted it. They crafted their message intentionally and purposefully so that we, especially in this last portion of the gospel, would see ourselves in the story, in the characters that cross the pages. We've been studying the gospel and we've been saying that it's not just some set of theological terms like we make it sometimes. It's not just uh, something that you hand out on a track or walk someone through step A, B, and C. The gospel, according to the very first Christians, is the account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And here in this final chapter, after we've talked about his birth way back at Christmas and all of his life in between, and here now at the end in this final chapter we're calling Accomplishing we come today to Jesus' death. Now, typically, you expect like Palm Sunday, we're talking about the victorious moment, the triumphal entry. Uh, and we've referenced that leading up to this point. But today we look ahead to his death because next week we get to celebrate his resurrection. So this is the day we, we're going to look forward to Good Friday. And, and we'll have an event here on Good Friday I'm really looking forward to. We had a little bit of a practice today. We're going to practice more on Wednesday. It's going to be uh, something worth coming to, I believe.
But today we're going to talk about what that event means in our lives. The death of Jesus. It's been talked about a lot. Most everyone who's studied it, if they're not, uh, well, the Muslim faith rejects the idea that Jesus died at all because they hold him to be a great prophet and they don't believe that great prophets can die. But, at least not on a shameful death on a cross like that. And so they just reject it outright. But even skeptical and atheist historians that look at, the, at this from a historical perspective admit that Jesus died on a cross. So we all know this. We accept it as reality. But what does it mean in our lives? And the gospel writer in, of Luke, Luke's account, of the gospel. He crafts his account of it very carefully. And, and we find that after the supper where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, after that supper where he shared the Lord's Supper, the communion that, that we still practice today, they left that place and they went out to a garden and Jesus took a few of them further on and he began to pray and plead with God that he would take this cup from him. That he wouldn't have to drink the cup of God's wrath. I mean, when it came down to it, I mean, who wants to suffer and die like that? He didn't. And yet, he said, thy will be done. If this is how it has to be, so be it. And he had this just agonizing moments in the garden where he's praying and he's asked his disciples to pray with him. And what do they do? Maybe just from emotional weariness. Maybe just from uh, supper. I don't know. They fell asleep. They fell asleep on Jesus. And Jesus comes back and he says, Are you sleeping? At this hour, stay up and pray with me. They fell asleep again. And it's just this moment where you're like, Oh my goodness, come on guys. Pull it together. Of course, they didn't have Mountain Dew or coffee, for as far as we know. Um, <laughs> so we cut them some slack, but probably some of us would see ourselves in them. Out of a sleep, not really paying attention to what's going on. Then there's Judas, who walks into that garden. He knew where Jesus would be, and he leads Jesus' enemies right to him. In that secret, quiet place where they could arrest him without any kind of fuss from the crowds. And he betrays his Lord with a kiss of a friend. And of course, we all despise Judas, right? We, if we're honest, though, we can look at Judas and see maybe at least a dim reflection of ourselves because most every one of us at some point has betrayed a friend, right? You've let someone down or worse. And... 
most of us have betrayed our God at some point or another. And so we can find ourselves in the story. And as they lead Jesus out of that garden to put him on trial, here comes Peter the bold, right? Peter the courageous. Peter the guy that just said, Jesus, no matter what happens, I've got your back. Jesus says, oh, Peter, before this night is over, you'll deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And sure enough, it happens, and that rooster crows, and Peter is shaken to his core, and he runs out in shame. And even in Peter, we see a little bit of ourselves. There's a lot of bullies in this story. Guys who want to make themselves feel big by making someone else feel small. And so Jesus, allowing himself to be powerless in their presence, takes a beating. And they mock him, right? And they say, prophesy, prophet. Tell us who hit you. And they spit on him and they call him names and they dress him up like a king just to make fun of him. And if we read this with an open mind, then probably we see some of ourselves in there because every one of us, maybe at least most of us, surely, surely it's not just me. Surely I'm not the only one that's ever tried to make myself feel big by making someone else feel small. And then they called in witnesses, right? To accuse Jesus. And the witnesses come in and they make up stories that are kind of like half-truths. But of course, I've never told a half-truth. You've never told a half-truth. Now, we like to tell ourselves that in that sort of situation, we would tell the truth. <laughs> the truth is that every lie undermines the truth and undermines justice and undermines what is right and good. Way back, I think it was the, actually the very first message of this series, we looked forward to this moment and we talked about that moment when they, Pilate brought Jesus out and he brought out another Jesus called Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas. And he stood these two men before the crowd and he said, which one of them do you want me to release for you? Because he had this habit, habit of, you know, at this festival, releasing someone a prisoner to them. Just as a gesture of goodwill. Isn't that nice of him? And he says, which one of these men should I, should I release to you? This Barabbas, who has led rebellions and, and murdered people, who wants God's kingdom to come with a sword, or this one Jesus, who... Claims to be your king. 
And, and we talked about on that very first week how impatient the people were at that time for the Messiah to come, to get things going, to kick Rome out, to set up God's kingdom. And they chose the microwave Messiah, right? They chose Barabbas, who wanted to get things done with a sword, instead of choosing Jesus, who preached a different way. And, and we ask this question. What do you do when God's plan or God's timetable doesn't match up with your expectations? And I think most of us that week felt like, oh yeah, sometimes I try to rush God a little bit. And I try to do things my way instead of waiting on His way. When His way seems too slow and I've got something that I want to happen on my timetable, well then I just make it happen. And we've all been guilty of that at some point. Then there's the, uh, the criminal. Uh, there were two. There's the one who had the audacity and his own guilt to look over at Jesus and mock him. How rich is that? My goodness. But we never do stuff like that. <laughs> We're never in a mess of our own and pointing someone else's mess out, right? We don't do that sort of thing. <laughs> Reminds me of when Jesus said, before you start worrying about other people's specs, why don't you take that plank out of your eye? You know, but we're guilty of that sometimes. We, we've got a mess of our own we could take care of. But instead we're talking to someone else about, or talking about someone else, right? You believe them. And so this story unfolds. And as we read it, and as we approach the cross... We're meant to find ourselves in the pages like a mirror held up to show a little bit of ourselves. Just a glimpse. And we come to this passage we read today. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? I mean, we are punished justly. For we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And here, we find someone who has seen his own reflection in the story, right? We see someone at last who has the presence of mind to realize that they're only getting what they deserve and that this man is not. He begins to feel this emotion that we should feel when we encounter this story of the cross. And then there's the centurion, the Roman in charge of the whole proceedings. 
who when he sees Jesus' death, praises God and says, surely this was a righteous man. Other accounts say that he spoke, surely this was the Son of God. And I find this powerful, the crowd, the people. Probably the same ones that yelled, crucify him. They left, having witnessed what had just taken place, beating their breasts. Why? Didn't they get what they wanted? But somehow, as the events unfolded, they saw themselves. I wonder if it was this moment as Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I wonder if it was that moment for you and for some of them when you awakened to see yourself in the crowd, to see yourself in the garden, to see yourself in the courtyard of the high priest or standing there before Pilate. The first thing I believe that we must see, that we should feel at the cross of Jesus is shame. And I would suggest that you don't believe in the gospel. You don't really believe in the cross until you have felt shame at the cross. Oh, you might believe that Jesus died but you don't believe in why he died. Unless you've come to a place at some point where you look at that cross and you hear this story and you find yourself in the pages looking back at you and you feel shame. It's the first thing. But it's not the last thing. It's not the last thing that you're supposed to feel at the cross. In fact, I believe that that very shame that you feel at the cross is actually your gateway to grace. And if you want to fill in the blank on your, on your note card, you can. The shame you feel at the cross is actually your gateway to grace. See, some people make the mistake that Judas made. And this is how they deal with their shame. They bury themselves in it. They can't get out from under it. They feel guilt. They feel shame as a burden pressing down on them and they can't escape it. Some of those are, are Christians that are constantly at the at an altar or constantly just feeling like they can't measure up or constantly just doubting that God could really love them, doubting that they could really be saved. And sometimes it's people that 
can't even darken the door of a church because they know they're just, they're just living in shame. But then there's others who respond differently. Who, for whom shame is just a catalyst. It's just the thing that they needed to feel to wake them up. Like King David, when the prophet Nathan told him that story and said, you are the man. And David was wrecked. That moment served as a catalyst for him to turn his life around, to seek forgiveness from God for what he had done. If he hadn't had that moment, if he hadn't felt that shame, he would have never been spurred to seek grace. And so that's why I say that the shame that you feel at the cross, the shame that you must feel if you truly believe in the gospel, when you come to that cross, is not what you're supposed to keep feeling forever. It's the thing that's supposed to spur you to do something about it. The truth is, there wasn't really anything we could do about it. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. Father, forgive them. It was for your forgiveness that Jesus died on the cross. And that sense of shame you feel, it's a kind of proof that you believe. And believing is the first step. It's the all-important step. When you come to that place that you believe that Jesus died for your sin, for your wrongdoing, and you come to believe that he died so that you don't have to live in shame, that's a beautiful moment. That he died so that your shame and your guilt could be erased. How does that work? just want to give you three words. Because see, we've said all along through this thing, this series, this super long series that we've been in, uh, we've said, whoa, sometimes I get loud, watch out. We've said that the gospel is the story of Jesus. But then the question, as we come down the wire here to the climax of this story, to where, you know, the all-important part that if it hadn't happened, we wouldn't be here. Uh, when, when we come to this part of the story, we have to ask ourselves, okay, say we believe this gospel, what do we do with it? So we've heard the, we've heard the account, what now? How do you respond to the gospel? Well, the very first sermon ever preached The moment that the church began, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, the week after Easter, will be our last message in the series. Peter, 
the apostle, told the story of the gospel. And he kept saying, you, 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 you crucified him. You did this. You did. He wanted them to see themselves in the story and to feel shame. And they did. And you know what they asked? They said, what do we do now? <laughs> what do we do about this? And he said, believe. And repent. I want to give you three words because that word repent sometimes it's just become like a religious word for some of us and we're not always clear on, on what's being said. I mean, it, it means to turn from the way you were living to a new way you were living. I want to offer you three words of response to the gospel. Believe is the first one. And if you believe, you must admit. Right? You must be willing to own it. Some people call that confessing, but it's just the willingness to admit You've blown it, right? You, you have found yourself in that story looking back at you. You have not always been perfect, right? The, the willingness to admit that. That you've really kind of made a mess of things. And if you admit, if you're willing to do that, then you must determine Determine that you'd sooner die than go on living the way you were living. On that path that nearly destroyed you. Had it not been for the grace of God. In Jesus Christ. On that cross. Believe. Admit. Determine. Believe, admit, determine. Believe in Jesus. Not just that he existed, but that he existed for a purpose. That he existed to die for you. That he died on that cross. And that he resurrected. And that's next week, right? We're going to talk about really kind of a case for the resurrection and why why it's maybe more believable than some people like to think. We believe it actually happened. Just as Jesus actually died. And it's the best explanation for what happened next, right? So believe. Admit where you've gone wrong and determine to live a different life. That's the way we respond. So I want to ask you today, as you consider the story of Jesus leading up to the cross, and we walk through all these characters, right? Where do you see yourself? Was it in the disciples who couldn't stay awake and pray with Jesus? Did you see a little bit of yourself in Judas who betrayed his friend with a kiss? Peter's denial, maybe? Maybe you saw a little bit of yourself in the bullies 
or in the liars or in the crowd that wanted things on their schedule instead of God's schedule or in the criminal who had the audacity to mock as his own ship went down Find yourself in the story amongst those, but also find yourself in the story amongst these, the other criminal, who believed and admitted, and even though he didn't have much life left, determined to be different. Or even in that centurion who praised God in that moment. Find yourself in, in Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the council that had put Jesus to death, but he, he didn't like it. And he came afterward to save Jesus' body from a mass burial, to honor him. He believed and he took Jesus' body and he laid it in his own tomb. Find yourself also in the women who had followed Jesus so faithfully and didn't run when all of Jesus' other disciples ran and fled in fear, but watched the whole thing and even followed Joseph to see where he was laid and went home to prepare to honor Jesus. Find yourself in them as well. Make the move from shame to grace. Don't stay in shame. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to. In fact, we've been saying in this last chapter, Jesus died and rose again so you can die and rise again. That's now, and that's later. And that gives us hope, doesn't it? Even on such a dark subject, and a cloudy day outside, as we look forward first to Good Friday and all that took place this week, and we've got to feel that to be able to feel Easter. But we know what they didn't know on Good Friday. We know how the story ends. And we know that we don't have to stay in shame. But that we can experience grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand as we wrap this up. As the praise team comes to lead us in song. And maybe you would just close your eyes for a moment. And I, whether you're Wherever you are, if you're living in shame right now and you want to move from shame to grace, would you just raise your hand and say, I would like to move from shame to grace. I will pray for you. Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else that would move from shame? shame to grace today.
Awesome. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your suffering and for enduring the shame that was completely due to us. It was ours, not yours. And that's grace. That you would offer us forgiveness in place of the death we were owed. Lord, we want to take a moment now to admit to you, to confess to you, Holy Spirit, we are determined to live a new way, but we desperately need your help. We need your power at work in our lives. So we pray that you would help us indeed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.